Will you turn with me, please, to John's Gospel, chapter 4. John's Gospel, chapter 4. This morning, possibly, God willing, next Lord's Day morning, we will continue on this theme. We'll see how the Lord leads. John's Gospel, chapter 4, please. Beginning to read at verse 20. This is the woman whom Jesus must needs go through Samaria and meets him, or he meets her, at the well. And this is part of their conversation at verse 20. She replies, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem Worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is off the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. And when he has come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your blessed word. We thank you for your son. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for this table we can gather around this morning and all that it represents, his doing, his dying. And we believe in his resurrection and rising again on the third day. Father, help us to worship in our hearts, to worship you, the only wise God, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless and encourage everyone. Challenge us. This morning, even convict hearts, I ask it. Do what thou wilt, and do what you seem fit to do. And Lord, have your way with each and every one of us. I ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Um, When you talk about worship, it can be a, a, a strange and a difficult subject to speak on. Simply because people have so many different ideas what worship is, what worship should entail, especially in corporate worship, the like of ourselves gathering corporately under this roof to worship. For example, there are some people who think we shouldn't use instruments in worship, while we do believe you should. There are some who think you should only use psalms and sing psalms when we believe that the word tells us we are to sing in, uh, in uh, speaking to ourselves and sing in psalms and hymns and in spiritual songs. And we'll maybe look at that, whether it's this morning or another morning. Others believe that uh, we should worship in different ways. Some believe, and I'm not uh, rubbishing anyone's form of worship. If it's through the blood and trusting in the Lord Jesus, I'm just bringing it out what people believe. And people believe that when we worship in the Spirit, it should be all about music, singing, and dancing. 
People believe that worshipping in the Spirit is all about spiritual gifts and singing and speaking in tongues. And some people believe it has nothing to do with any of it. And so we're going to look, God willing, this morning at what is worship. Thoughts on worship. And so in our reading here this morning, the Lord Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well. And notice in verse 23 what the Lord Jesus says, but the hour cometh and now is. Notice when he's speaking to her on this day, he says, the hour cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Notice the spirit is a small s, not a capital S for the Holy Spirit. Notice in spirit and in truth for the Father seeketh such to worship him. Then he says, God is a spirit, capital S, and they that worship him must, notice the word must, worship him in spirit, small s, in spirit and in truth. So we want to look this morning at, first of all, if you're taking notes, worship is a sought after worship. The Father is seeking worshippers. Some people, when we go to talk about worship and we think of how, for example, some people might say, well, when we worship, you know, it must be um, very dramatic. must be a very big emphasis on things. And others believe in sitting in complete silence and total reverence. And I believe there, are, there is a place for both on how the Lord is leading the meeting at that time. But it says here, the Father seeketh such to worship him. And the word seeketh is the word desetheo. And this is what it means. We all know what it means to look for something, to seek for something. It means to seek in order to find something. It means to require something, to demand even. The Father comes to look and demanding, where's the worship? It means to go about looking. Let me give you a couple of examples for this word. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, the Lord Jesus said, But seek ye, same word, first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And so we should be seeking until we find. We should be seeking until we find that place in Christ, that place of worship, that place of prayer and answered prayer, not sitting back and saying, well, because we look at the worldly things, we work hard and there's nothing wrong with working hard. I'm not saying anything against it, but we strive to gather the things of the world, the things of for our homes and for our lives and our workplace. And, and we strive so hard and look, it's good to be uh, a provider. I'm not saying anything about that, but sometimes we Strive so hard after other things. Let me put it like that. It could be in different ways. But when we strive for them, they become the only thing we strive for. And the Lord becomes the butt end or the tail end of things that we look for in him. So the Lord Jesus tells us that we should seek in order to find the first, the kingdom of God. For example, Matthew 7 and verse 7, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. And it's the same word. 
If you're going to ask the Lord, it means ask, keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking until you find or until you receive the answer. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 45, it is when the Lord Jesus and, and Mary, his mother, with Joseph were, were down uh, uh, paying their tax, if you want, and then they leave uh, Jerusalem uh, uh, and uh, Sorry, they're going back to Jerusalem. And when they found him, the Lord Jesus, and when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. It's the same word they knew when they were on their way to Jerusalem, a full day's journey. He wasn't about, so they went seeking Jesus to see where he was. They had lost him. And they did not stop until they found him. It's the exact same word here. One more of this. Matthew 13 and verse 6. And I think this is very poignant even to our scripture this morning. Matthew 13 and verse 6. The Lord Jesus tells, uh, uh, pardon me, speaks to a fig tree and, and curses it. But he talks about the fig tree in a parable. The fig tree here being the Jews of, the, of his day. Notice a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. And we know the parable is that, that the owner of the vineyard says, cut it down while it's cumbering the ground. And he says, leave it alone another year. And if it, and if it bears fruit well, and if not, then pluck it up. And that year was when they crucified him, when the Jews called for his crucifixion. And hence, here before this in our reading, Jesus goes, talks about the man seeking fruit. The Lord Jesus went to a fig tree, and it says he sought fruit thereon and found none, and he cursed it and it withered up. Speaking of what would happen to the Jewish nation, he goes and it gives the idea he picks among the branches of the tree, moves across the foliage, moving the leaves, looking, searching for fruit. Is there any fruit on this? Are there any figs? This is the idea of it. And so it represents those who would reject him in Jerusalem out of jury. And notice this, brothers and sisters, Jesus telling the woman, you're not going to worship up the mountain, nor will you go to Jerusalem, but the time is now, he says. You'll not worship there or here, but the Father wants you to worship in the Spirit, in your spirit. And hence the whole idea of this worshippers in the Spirit and in truth is a move on the heart of man and woman. In other words, the worship must come from the heart. We're going to look at it, but it must be a heart worship. True worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. And here's something this morning. When we were here singing, Rebecca, uh, at late notice, thank you, Rebecca, filled in for Sarah this morning. She's unwell. And we just had to try and do a run-through of some of those songs quickly to, for, for the worship. But it was beautiful, Rebecca. Thank you. But I wonder, when we were worshiping, where was our heart? When we come together to sing, to come around the table to remember the Lord Jesus, where was your heart? Because the idea is the Father seeks, He comes, the Spirit 
comes and he moves among us like the foliage on the tree. And he's looking for worship from your heart. Was your heart moved by him? Was your heart moved toward him? Ah, but, you know, I'm not used to some of those songs. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the song. It's the heart. It's the, um, it's, it's the heart before God. And hence he comes into a meeting, and on your own also, but in a meeting. And there, as it were, looking through the foliage of a fig tree, looking for the fruit. He's looking for the fruit of the worship of the heart. wonder what he found in this place this morning when he looked. Did he look and find people? And listen, I love to see us all. This isn't a condemnation. I'm trying to help here because we're talking about worship. Worship isn't just stand up and sing a song. I'll be honest, when, when Her Majesty the Queen's funeral was happening and they were bringing her in to Westminster Abbey, the, the choristers started singing John 14, and it was amazing. But I looked at it in, in, in general, and I'm not, I don't know their hearts, but I looked at it in general and I thought, I wonder how many actually truly know the Lord there. They were there in person. There was hardly a lip moved. If it wasn't for the coursers, you wouldn't have heard them. And that's from the royals down. I wonder how many were moved in their heart. I wonder how many in here were moved in their heart. The heart of the matter will determine your worship. Some people say, but I have this problem and I have that problem. I understand there can be blockages in the sense where you're not feeling up to it. But the heart, the heart should always be Christ's. I wonder what he found this morning as he ruffled and look through the foliage of CET. So the Lord Jesus speaks of worshippers, true worshippers, and must worshippers. You must. I don't care how big the abbey is. The Lord doesn't live in the abbey. I don't care how big the temple is. The Lord doesn't live in a temple made with hands. My concern is for the sheep. For the temple, the living temple that you are and I am. What about our heart? We must worship. This isn't a pick and mix here. This isn't take or leave it here. This is we must You must. The Father comes looking for the fruit. Is he, is she, as he searches your heart, looking to worship me?
is the heart toward me. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. And if your heart is right with God, if your heart is to worship him, if you love the Lord Jesus, then you will worship. We have mountain worshippers. The woman says, up in this mountain, our fathers. So there's an Israelite background there. People think she's just some sort of, maybe I don't know what the thing she is, a Samaritan up there. But she says, our fathers worshipped in this mountain. That straight away through the years in the apostasy. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. This was Jacob's well it was known as. And, and you're saying that we're, we're to worship at Jerusalem. Where are we to worship? You see, when you went into apostasy, Israel had the tabernacle, then the temple in Jerusalem, but the tabernacle in the middle of the city. And then when you go to somewhere who was not in true worship, they always went out in pilgrimage. They went up the mountains. They went into the little groves and the trees. And there they worshipped that idol. So God was not in the middle. And they could leave him there. They could leave him there. And I wonder how many will be here this morning and will say, I've I've been to to church this morning, but when I go home, I can leave him there. The Lord there. I can leave him there. And until possibly next Sunday, I would love to see you, but possibly until next Sunday, he's not really much in your thoughts. He's not really much in your life. And your heart is not in transitory worship. So we have mountain worshippers. We have Jerusalem worshippers. Those who will go to the church. Those who will come. But Jerusalem, he says, listen, this is going to be done. But those who will go to the church. And after that, they'll go through the ceremonies. Oh, the, the blood will be represented. And all of these things. The animals were sacrificed. But they went home and... and Bar some of them, I'm sure, but they went home and there was very little written on their heart. It can be that you come and, and you can sit and you, you listen to a certain song or a certain psalm and you sing it and, and that's enough for you for the week. There's no more Christ the rest of the week. And yet when we must examine our hearts, brothers and sisters, because during the week from this place, when you go home, during this, when you close your doors and you go to your work or whatever you do, you'll find, brothers and sisters, that it's not that Jesus just lives here. He lives in you if you're a believer. But our hearts tend to go far from him. Worship was not confined to a geographical location, the mountain or Jerusalem. Jesus said it is going to change And worship was not an outward, aloof practice. It's not on a pilgrimage. I don't care where you climb the Mount of Calvary, literally, or or Gethsemane, or or Croke Patrick, or whatever. That is not worship. Worship's in the heart. Worship's the spirit of the man, the mind of the woman and the man. Worship is from within. And worship is more than church. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is a lifestyle. 
Some people in church raise their hands in worship. So do I. Some people in church will worship in different ways. Either way, brothers and sisters, worship must be from the heart. Notice this. In, in, in the law, the moral law, Deuteronomy 20, or pardon me, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, the Lord Jesus, when asked, what is the first and great commandment? Listen to what he says. Matthew 22 and verse 37. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, with all thy mind. Notice the heart, the soul, and the mind. Loving him, it is the worship. See if we and I can get the real grips and realize just how we were saved and, and get fresh view of the cross of Christ and the blood that he shed. See if you and I can get a fresh view every morning, every day, throughout the day, of the, the grace of God and even how Glenn said round the table, the things that Christ has done for us and who we really are. Be honest with ourselves and say, this is who I was. You're no better than me and I'm no better than you. It doesn't matter who you are. We're all sinners. And every one of us needed saved. It's then when we realize what we have been saved from and whom we have been saved by and what we have been saved to, that should cause the heart to love him. To love him. To worship him. It becomes natural to me when I hear of the blood of the Lamb, when I hear where it's a hymn or whatever. Listen, by the way, I have nothing against psalm singing because I'd love to be able to sing psalms. I just don't know the tunes of them. Sometimes we sing Psalm 23 and that's about the height of it. I have nothing against it. In fact, if we had a lovely tune and we could play and sing the Psalms, I would do it because the Psalms, the book of Psalms is Israel's hymn book. So I'm not against it. I would love that, actually. But I can love him when I'm singing. I can love him when I'm praying. Worship him. Worship him in your prayers. You know, it's usually the shopping list and the the, the, the half of it's uh, what we want, what we think we want, and what we don't know if we want. And the other half's the grapes, the groans, and the gurns. Isn't that true? Here we are, Lord. And I just go, and the next day, oh, I feel so much better. I've offloaded, and that's okay. But what about telling him how wonderful he is? What about opening your heart and being filled afresh and anew and proclaiming him as the king, as the head of the church and Lord of lords? Telling him what do you think of him, how wonderful he is? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God knows, with all your heart. This is what I've written down. Love the Lord thy God with total commitment. Are you committed to Christ? Ah, well, he's my saviour and I got saved. And, no, no. Are you committed to Christ? I mean committed to him. In covenantal relationship committed to Christ. And again, I'm not condemning here. I'm trying to help. I've asked myself this a million times when I was writing it. Love the Lord thy God with total commitment, with all thy soul, as with your total self, who you are. And the total access. Is there an access and an area in your life? Because people think when I'm going to talk about worship, right, we're going to talk about, well, this is how you feel. And, this is, and we're going to talk about those things. 
But there has to be a foundation of worship in spirit and in truth first. So first of all, are you committed to Christ? Do you love him with your total self to full access? Is there an area in your life you're not yielding to him, giving to him? Is there somewhere in your life that you know this is it's causing a little bit of a, a dampener with your relationship with him and a blockage? Is there something that you need to give over? Because to total access, you know, if you go uh, to the VIPs and concerts or whatever, they give you a, a badge, you clip on, and it says total access, where you can go anywhere in there. Go behind the stage, you can go into along where the changing rooms are, where the dressing rooms are. Total access. Has Christ got total access in your heart? Well, this happened and that happened, and the church done this, and the pastor said that, and I done this and that. Listen, never mind that. I'm talking about Christ, not the church, not the pastor. Because if you've total access for the Lord, if you've given him that, if you've given him that, you'll change. Your heart will be different and you'll worship. And with all your mind, is it really gives the idea of an exuberant, even what people would call over-the-top, yet obedient thinking. You ever get people when you start talking about the Lord all the time and say, you're over the top. You're going this too deep. You're too much. That's where your mind should be. Filled with the, the thoughts of Christ. Filled. A day filled. An evening filled. The morning filled. With the thoughts of Christ. And see when we are like that. When we get to that place. We are in a place of worship. Worship is a lifestyle. How's your lifestyle? Is it a lifestyle of worship? So it's not just that sing. You know, we're going to sing, yes, part of it. And all of these are parts, but worship is a lifestyle. Worshiping the Lord your God in spirit is engaging the whole heart, engaging the whole man or the whole woman, the whole self. Worship of the heart is not dead, lifeless, and expressionless, but emotive. Is your worship emotive? Now, this is where we sort of split hairs with others now. You see, if you love... I'm not, I'm not a football fan. I don't follow football. I, I just don't, I don't have, follow any of that stuff. And I'm not against and saying anything who people who have their football team, so please don't come after me then later and go, but I love football, you know. I'm not saying anything about your football, okay. That's that's up to you what you follow. I don't. I don't. I choose not to. But listen, here's what I'm trying to say. When you are watching your favorite team play. You ever sitting on the end of your seat or you spend a lot of money to go to watch them live or watch them in the stadium that they're playing in and everybody's jumped up and down and cheering with their scarves in the air and all and they're shouting to, you know, and it becomes too many their God. 
becomes, it, it becomes to many, I'm not saying to you, but to many, their heart. Thou shalt love the football team with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. It may as well be to many. I'm not saying to you now. Please don't get me wrong here. I'm not trying to say it to you personally. But what I am saying, if it is speaking to you, maybe the Spirit will speak to you if that's what it is. And you need to deal with that. And it takes up your heart. Or whatever else it may be. And you're emotive about it. You scored a goal, they hit the post or the bar, whatever, and you're jumping off your seat and you're, oh, you, you know, you're all emotive about it. That's because we are emotional beings. We are emotional beings. Emotive is expressing a person's feelings rather than being neutrally descriptive. And there are many who come to church, and I can honestly tell you, when we're worshiping, they are neutrally descriptive. You know what that means? Disinterested. Neutrally descriptive. They are disinterested and uninfluenced by the anointing of the Spirit in the meeting. Are you disinterested when the Lord's moving in the meeting, uninfluenced by the Spirit? Listen to Jonathan Edwards, the, the, the preacher who wrote the, 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 the famous uh, sermon, who preached the famous sermon, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. But listen to what he says. I should think to myself in the way of my duty, to raise the affections of my hearers as high as possibly I can, provided that they are affected with nothing but truth. And so does the truth of the word of God. Listen, I worship more in the word of God than I do when I'm singing. If I'm sitting reading and I'm reading, it just thrills my heart. I mean, I'm sitting writing sometimes and I have a nice big leather chair with a, uh, you know, it's like an office-style chair on wheels, and sometimes I kick it back and jump and throw my hands in the air in my study. Praising the Lord for, for, for what he's showing, what I'm seeing in the Word, and I'm, I'm excited, I'm emotive about it, I have a feeling about it. And I know nowadays it's, well, you know, it's all emotional, it's all emotional. And I believe, yes, there are people who whip things up to be emotional, but God made you emotional. Did you know that? And it's in the truth, as Jonathan Edwards says. We can be emotional in the sense of the truth. Let me give you a list of what is known as the 12 main emotions of the human being. First one is listed as interest. Are you interested in the things of God at all? That's just, that's the truth. Are you interested and meeting him in worship, meeting him at the heart's gate, interest, or is it that you're neutrally descriptive, <laughs> uninterested, disinterested, uninfluenced? So interest is one. Joy. Who's ever who's ever had something happen to them and they've just felt the joy of that? Who's who's been joyful at times? I think nearly every human being could be honest here and say, oh, 
The Lord made you to have joy. And the scripture says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Finding it in truth, worshipping him because of it. You're a motive. Surprise. You jump out and somebody, it's a motive, it's emotions flooding through your, your body. Or somebody comes and says, look at the lovely gift I gave you. And you lift it and you go, wow, look at this. Somebody comes and gives you a gift. You're, 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 you're just so joyous about it and you're surprised that you maybe got it. Alison says that every time I bring a bunch of flowers because I don't. Well, the old time. But when I do, she's really surprised. Because you're an emotive being. You're a motive in the sport or whatever. You're a motive being. You're a motive about family things. You can be a motive about different things. Sadness. Who's ever been sad? We we'll all have, I'm sure. That's an emotion. Anger. Who's ever been angry? Paul tells us, be ye angry and sin not, and let not the sun go down in your wrath. We all have anger at times. We can all have, now some people have anger issues and they're sinning. Don't get me wrong, they're sinning. Anger issues, you're sinning against the Lord. Needs to be brought under control. And the thing is, people bring it into a place of corporate gathering to worship. And you wonder why there's a blockage. You wonder why I can't express the way they are. And I can't sing with a heart that they're singing of. Because it's an anger issue. It's a blockage. And you're sinning against the Lord. Disgust. That's an emotive one. Who's, who's ever had disgust? All of us, I'm sure, being disgusted. I'm disgusted with the things of our land at the minute. I just find nothing uh, between the, the, the world and myself at the minute, I, I, and I hope you're the same Christian, I find with nothing in common. Nothing. That's why I don't go to, to concerts with pop stars and rock stars and I don't go to these things. I have nothing in common with what they're singing. I have nothing in common with what they're, they're portraying. I have nothing in common with any of them. And I'll be honest, if I went, I would be neutrally descriptive. But when I step up to worship the Lord, I have nothing in common sitting in the pub. Nothing in common with it. See where I'm coming from? But yet when we come to worship the Lord, many people, well, they're neutrally descriptive that they don't. They're disinterested and uninfluenced by what is going on. They, and it doesn't, matter, it doesn't matter who's with you, who's not with you, who's beside you, or who's across the church from you. Listen, you might have a problem over here with someone over there, or vice versa, or with a man up here. And that's fine if you do. That's fine. But it's not between you and you and you and me and whatever. It's between you and the Lord. Here's the problem. It's between you and the Lord. It's up to you. Worship, they say, is made of two words. Worth. Worth and ship. Worth is what something is worth. And ship is relations 
it comes unity. One made out of two. For example, fellowship, friendship, relationship. And it's what you deem Christ worth to your heart that you love him after knowing what he's done for you that you give him his worth as much as you possibly can. Spirit, soul and body. And if that means lifting your hands to say I love you Lord then lift them up. I'm not saying if you don't lift them you don't love him. I'm not saying that. If that is what is the motive of it. We think of contempt. It's another motive. Fear. We've all felt fear. And yet we forget the fear of the Lord. Which is the beginning of wisdom. Shame is another one. Shyness. People are saying I, I can't because I'm shy. I can't because of shame. I can't because another one is guilt. Feel guilty. And the, and, and the last of the twelve is self Hostility. That can be the worst one. No self-hostility is hating. Hating you thinking of your worthlessness more than the worthiness of Christ. Hating who you are more than the worthiness of Christ. Forget who you are. It's all about him. It's about what he's done. And so we worship from our heart. We love him. Listen to William Fenner, an old Puritan. And see these, old, see these Puritans too. If you look at them, you know, you're talking about, what, 15, 1600s? Look like they're stuffy blokes, don't they? They're big collars with fond out and all that, and the big hats. And, you know, but these men worship from their heart. William Fenner said, Grace comes not to take up a man's affections. Pardon me. Grace comes not to take away a man's affections, but to take them up. All of those emotive or emotions that we just read there, we need to, instead of employing them to self and the world, we need to be giving them over to Christ and worship. Giving them over to Christ. Because he has made us, the Father made us, to worship him. Thomas Watson, another old Puritan, said, take heed. Notice this. Now, <laughs> there's, one or, there's one or two would come into, into here anyway, and they would be, uh, um, how am I going to put this? Regulars. Regular sleepers when they come into church. I don't know how on earth at times, especially on... If you come at night, when me preach to me, how you fall asleep on me? I don't know, because I can be loud. Listen to Thomas Watson. You ready? But this speaks to every Christian in their heart. Really, this is what it means. Take heed of drowsiness and hearing. Drowsiness shows much irreverence. How lively are many when they are about the world, but in the worship of God... How drowsy. That's what I'm speaking of. We're like this for the things of the world. And we're in the world. And we're all oh, the emotion, the excitement, the joy. And all of these things in the world. And we're, we're all for it. We're all excited about it. But when we come into worship. It 
Thomas Adams said, it is poor worship to move our hats and not our hearts. You know when the men used to come in, they used to move their hats coming to church. And please, if you wear a hat, please still do that. Please still do that. But the men would come in and they would move their hats. But that's all they moved. They didn't move their hearts. They didn't move their hearts. I must close this and do God willing. Another one next week. Worship involves sacrifice, brothers and sisters. Worship involves sacrifice. We will look at it, the Lord, Lord willing, at the first time worship, the word worship is mentioned in the scripture, and it involves sacrifice. Worship involves spiritual giving, but it also involves physical activity and giving. It's a lifestyle. Romans 12, Paul says that we are to uh, live our lives as a spiritual sacrifice. As though we just just keep sacrificing, as though it's a, a worship of lifestyle. And we must ask ourselves, how's our lifestyle? And in the words of my late pastor, How's your love life? How's your love life? You loving Christ. You loving Christ. See, if you love Christ, if you love the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you give him total access to your heart, oh, he'll read you out of a lot of stuff, but see if you give him total access, the total commitment of your heart, he'll not only change you, but he will also bring things to you that you must yield to him. What if you hate your brother or sister and it's a blockage to you? Then if you hate a brother or sister, then the scriptures tell us, John lets us know. He says, you're still in darkness. What about that one? If you hate a brother or sister in your heart, you're still in darkness. Boy, they're tough, aren't they? But this is how we worship. Worship isn't just about the singing. That's what I'm trying to say. It's not just about lifting hands. And look, it's all part of it. It's not just about playing instruments. And I believe it's all part of it. Worship is about the heart. It's about the center of the man and the woman. And listen, worshiping lifestyle causes you to be faithful in your lifestyle to God. Next week, God willing, we're going to look, with the Lord's help, the beginning of worship. We're going to look at the sacrifices in the Bible, the worship of it. God willing, we're going to look at the heart. Jesus says, this people honors me with their lips, but their Their heart is far from me. Their heart is far from me. Where's your heart this morning? Goodbye with me in a word of prayer, Josh, please.
We're just going to close this meeting this morning, and I want you in your own heart. Whatever the way the Lord has dealt with you, spoken to you, challenged you, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're feeling like it or not. It's about you and Him. This isn't about you and anyone else. It's about you and Him. Then, as He has speaking, been speaking to your heart and challenged your heart, then quietly where you are, will you speak back? To him, let his word find a place. Maybe he'll challenge you to say, you know, you've slipped. You, you're not as faithful as you used to be. You don't gather the way you used to. Or maybe he'll say, you haven't given me full access into this area, and that's why your life is like this, or that's why you can't express your love to me. You're an emotive being. It's the way I have made you. You need to give every emotion over to me. Whether it's anger or joy, give it all. For he is the one who should make us joyful. We should have no joy in others but him and our loved ones. It's about you and him this morning. It's about the heart this morning. And just in your heart, would you... This morning, would you speak to him and say, Lord, whatever you feel you need to speak, Lord, this or that or the other, I'm not putting words in your mouth. But I surrender myself to you. I give my everything to you. Total access into my spirit and my being, into my mind and my thinking. And all that I am, all that I have, all that I own, everything I do, Lord, would you be in it and through it because it's all of you, the glory of it. Bless you all this morning. Father, we pray for everyone this morning, for those who are all those that little multitude of children down there in the polytunnel and then the crash, Lord, and all the leaders and the teachers there, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would, Lord, touch all of our hearts, mine included, Lord, that we would find things that, Lord, we have allowed to slip, Lord, that causes us to be thus, where we've hindered you and we have turned from you or we have fallen from you and our hearts have strayed and become calloused or cold or indifferent, Lord. Oh God, that we may surrender ourselves to be different people today, that you would have front and center and the preeminence in everything, Lord, for we know that when you are everything to us, Lord, then you make everything and you give everything that is good to us. Lord, we don't serve you because we want but we worship you because you have given and you have done. We worship you not as the giver or for the gifts, but for the giver, for all that you have given to us, Lord, and done. This morning, O oh God, that you would have your words central in our hearts and minds to remind us this day, this week. Lord, would you challenge us, Lord, that we might, Lord, be ready and willing to serve thee in a greater fashion. 
Bless your people, I pray. Be glorified in everything. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Amen. God bless us, everyone.